There had been abuse in my family, but it was mostly musical in nature. Lover's Lament crap. I want something peppy, something happy, something up-tempo. I want something snappy. You may have heard them on Gossip Girl or Grey's Anatomy, but the XX hopes you won't hold that against them. We've got this emerging British trio live in the studio. Plus, we have a review of the latest from Jack White's side project, The Dead Weather. I'm Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DeRogatis of Vocalo.org. Stay tuned for that and my Desert Island Jukebox pick today on Sound Opinions. From WBEZ Chicago and American Public Media, you're listening to Sound Opinions. And time now for some music news. That song may sound sort of familiar, but it's not exactly what you know. It's a track called Good Time Women, which would become Tumbling Dice on the Rolling Stones' best album. I think you and I both agree about that, Greg. Exile on Main Street. That is an early version of the song before it morphed into the version we came to know and love. It's one of ten new tracks on a reissue project of Exile on Main Street, celebrating that classic double album's 38th anniversary. Hey, you know, really the high point of the Stones' whole career, right, Craig? Absolutely, and the point of this reissue is those bonus tracks. People are being asked to shell out as much as $180 retail (laughs) for the lavish box set because there's a hardcover book, there's a DVD of the making of the album in there, and the holy grail for a lot of Stones connoisseurs are those bonus tracks. What do they contain? What do they tell us that we don't already know about what went on in Keith Richards' stinky, hot basement in the south of France in the summer of 1971 while this album was being made? Unfortunately, Jim, the bonus tracks are a big tease. I mean, you have a few tracks like Good Time Women, which were actually straight from those sessions and are preserved intact. I wanted to hear three or four CDs worth of that kind of material. Yeah. But all we get here, Jim, is a sketch. You know, the DVD sort of skims over the surface of it. These bonus tracks, we get three or four actual recordings from those sessions. The rest of these bonus tracks, heavily doctored. 38 years later, Mick Jagger and Don Was go in the studio and say, okay, here's some ry- leftover rhythm tracks from the Exile era. Let's put some new vocals on top. Let's write some lyrics for these songs. Essentially, 2010 versions of rhythm tracks that were worked on in that basement in 1971. Now, is that really telling me anything about how Exile on Main Street was born? Not at all. It's a totally new thing. I'm not even sure what those tracks are doing on this box set. And to call them part of this Exile box and say that this is what went on in the south of France that summer, I think that's false advertising. Well, what's really fascinating here is that, you know, throughout this 
history of the Rolling Stones. Either Jagger has been ascendant and Richards has been retreating, or Richards has been on top and Jagger's retreating. This is one of the periods where Richards was driving the bus. So now it seems like uh, 38 years later, Jagger gets to reclaim some of that music and and put his vocals on and remake. Meanwhile, I've seen quotes from Richard saying, you wouldn't go back and repaint the smile on the Mona Lisa, would you? Well, they didn't touch the original album, thank God. They didn't do any remixing there. But these bonus tracks, really a letdown for hardcore Stones fans. You know, it it follows on the heels of that new quote-unquote Jimi Hendrix album, Valleys of Neptune, where they did some post- op doctoring on the original tracks that Hendrix recorded. This this is a very controversial topic because when we talk about these archival records, what we as music fanatics want to hear is more of what went down when these great albums were being made. I'm thinking of something like the Stooges' Funhouse Box. I yeah. love all those outtakes that show how that band was working in the studio at that time and getting to the point where they had those finished tracks. Ditto for the Pet Sounds Box, right? Yeah, the Beach Boys Box of a couple of years ago where, where you would hear Brian Wilson in the studio directing the studio musicians and working with his brothers and the other guys in the band to construct those four- and five-part harmonies. Yeah. You know, and, and you hear it literally come together. Now, you know, I mean, does that enhance your appreciation of an album like Pet Sounds? No, it's brilliant as it was in the original. But but you can you can totally geek out if you're a music super geek like we are and say, wow, listen to those harmonies come together. I, I absolutely think that's the way to approach these classic album reissues. If you are offering bonus tracks, give us what happened during that period. Don't gussy them up with new fancy technology, which is exactly what the Stones did. Here's an example of one of those hybrid tracks Rhythm track from 1971, new Jagger vocal from 2010. It's called Following the River from the Exile on Main Street reissue on Sound Opinions. There's something I should tell you. Why don't you sit there in that chair? You're looking good today. I love the way your combs tuck. In your head, my cards are on the table, but the drinks of our run out. There's been some of us in this room with me, well, really quite a crowd. to break it gently But I really thought it through I don't think there's much future left for me and you That is a song called Following the River from the new reissue of Exile on Main Street with the Rolling Stones separated by some four decades then and now. You applied 
You're listening to Sound Opinions, and that has a track called Crystallize from a new band out of the UK called the XX. Debut album, self-titled, came out in 2009. One of the best albums of that year was number three on my year-end list. Haunting, bedroom intimacy, co-ed vocals kind of going back and forth, almost as if having a conversation late at night. Yeah, and despite uh, being so intimate, Greg, they are creating a lot of noise on the underground rock scene. We caught them in the midst of their first major U.S. tour. They came by and they played and chatted with us. Romy Madley-Croft, Oliver Sim, and Jamie Smith. Let's get right down to it. Let's so let's talk about the origins of this band. A very young band, the XX, started 17, 18 years ago or so. Oliver, is that right? <laughs> um, In some ways, I uh, wouldn't say the band started <laughs> then, but um, yeah, I met, I met Romy in kindergarten, and um, yeah, we, we've gone to primary school, secondary school, college together, and we've been best friends kind of ever since. And um, we met Jamie at secondary school when we were eleven years old. So we've all we've all grown up together. Well, having having literally grown up together, at what point did you start making music? Um, I guess it was at around the sort of age of about fourteen or fifteen. I I drummed for a little bit, and then I realised I wasn't very good at it. And then I picked up a guitar, and it felt a lot more natural. Mm. And then at, at a similar time, Oliver started to play bass, and Jamie actually played live drums. Then we we asked him to play with us, but he never would. So we kind of forced us to seek out. And sort of try and make our own electronic beats, and then in a roundabout way, he ended up making them for us. And then he got his sampler, which he uses, mm-hmm. and um, and now he's part of the live section too, which is great. Was it originally uh, stage fright, Jamie, that kept you away? <laughs> yes, basically. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think I was very good at that point, so I didn't want to show off. Now this is a pretty um, stripped down band. This is exactly the way you guys perform live: electric guitar with Romy, and then Oliver on bass, and then. Jamie, perhaps you have the most explaining to do in terms of what kind of work you do on that percussion. It's a synthetic percussion kit, but you're playing with your with your hands. It's a very hands-on experience of what you're doing. Yeah, it's three samplers, and basically everything that I made on the album, I can just play straight off them because you can just put everything that you've made into them and, and trigger them live, and it's kind of easier with your hands than with drumsticks. Was it part of the sound originally with you guys when when this band sort of came together? You said it was a, a electronic percussion pretty much from the start, Romy? I mean, um, never a traditional trap kit in the in the band? or I think it just kind of was, by the way that things worked out, was that it was just Oliver and I, and I remember making some beats on a PC computer, you know, and they weren't very good, and it was very house. It was just sort of a, <laughs> you know, like a kick drum and a snare, and it, yep. was, it was quite fast. And so it kind of went from that, and then sort of knowing that Jamie, you know, he was doing his own production of sort of more hip instrumental hip-hop. And then we came to him and we were just sort of like, please, can you help us make some actually, like, a bit more interesting beats, I guess. Well, you guys, instruments in your hands. What are you going to play? You're going to play a couple of songs in a row for us, right? Uh, yeah, we're going to play um, our new single, Islands, and uh, a song off the album called Heart Skip to Beat.
get in Left waiting outside your door I was sure You give me more No need to come to me When I can make it all the way to you That was the XX live on Sound Opinions with a medley of their songs Islands and Heart Skipped a Beat. We're going to have more with the XX in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and American Public Media. And then it's my turn to pop a quarter in the Desert Island Jukebox. Nick, just to fly easy to take you could take me in four hours make me a deal and day of peace take it all just stay a week i'll take you in pieces we can take it all apart i've softened shipwrecks right from the start i've been underwater breathing out and in i think i'm losing where you end and i begin basic space open
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and American Public Media. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and our guests this week are the XX. British Trio is relatively young to the business, but they've already made a lot of noise in the States this year. They're playing a number of major music festivals, including Lollapalooza, and that song you're hearing right now, Intro, has been all over television. It was featured in ads during the Winter Olympics. So when the XX was in our studio, I asked bassist Oliver Sim about their whirlwind ascent. I kind of think from the outside it looks like a very instant thing that's happened. But um, we've been working with our record label since we were, I think, 17. Mm-hmm. When we kind of first started with working with our record label, the kind of relationship was that they were just getting us gigs and giving us a place to rehearse. And that part kind of went on for a year. And then after that year, then we start, we spent a year kind of working towards an album. And then we've just spent that last year touring. So I kind of feel like we've been eased into it quite naturally. But on the other hand, this touring life kind of (laughs) we're used to very much working we have been used to working very much at our own pace and um just since the album's come out we've just kind of realized a very different way of going about things now we kind of have to work by a certain speed well it's like it's like you're in the army there's always somebody telling you (laughs) where and when you have to be somewhere right yeah you're getting up at ridiculous hours of the morning and not (laughs) eating when you want But having said that, I think it's fair to say we're having the best time. And you were able to record this debut album, which has gotten across the board praise, kind of on your own terms, it sounded like. I mean, the Mm. the record company signed you, you were signed to a pretty well-known label, XL, has put out a number of fine records over the years. I understand that you were working with some different producers at at certain points. They were trying to hook you up with people like Diplo. But it ended up pretty much being an in-house thing. You guys did it all yourself at the end of the day. How did that process work where you started working with these outside producers and what was unsatisfying about it that you ended up doing it all yourself? Um, when we first started, we were we had demos that we'd made that on I had a, a multi-tracker, just a sort of, you know, very much a sort of plug-in-and-play thing. And um, we'd sort of made these demos and, and we really liked them, but our label kind of was sort of encouraging us to sort of experiment so they, they, you know, gave us the opportunity to work with really interesting producers like Diplo and we just sort of sat in a room and talked about music really and, and played songs and recorded a bit. And the stuff that came out was was definitely was very interesting, but I think working with different producers made us realise that we already had what we wanted from mm. the demos that we made. And and I think maybe we wouldn't have realised that if we hadn't worked with them, but it was kind of a roundabout thing that happened. That through working with people, we realised that we just were happy with what we were already doing. And what were the recording circumstances like for this record? I mean, it was the old garage of the the record company is in a muse. It's a really sort of old building. Yeah, so, I mean, it was basically the size of a large bathroom that we recorded in. (laughs) um, It's a good thing you guys have been friends since age five. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was definitely under close proximity, and I think we just sort of were very used to that. And I think having an amazing big studio like this, we would have got lost. But um, (laughs) we... uh, it's, it, it was it was definitely very intimate. That that's a great word because intimacy is really I think what people are responding to in this record. In fact, before you had come over to the states and people knew very little about you, they just heard the music. They assumed Romy that, you know, there's something going on between this female singer and this male singer in the band. They're almost like whispering to each other at three in the morning, and it's almost like you're eavesdropping on this bedroom conversation. <laughs> um, how did those 
wonderful vocals work together. How did you develop that, that sort of give and take vocal style that you have? In the beginning, kind of when we first started, neither of us were brave enough to sing alone. And it was just a nice way of, yeah, just kind of, again, no one wanted to sing first. I would ask her to sing first, then she'd ask me. And it was just a nice way of sharing it. And we kind of both sang at the same time. And through that, I think we've gained confidence to sing on our own. It seems to be a recurring theme of, of good things happening for the XX almost by accident. Happy accidents, And, and yeah. reluctant uh, objection. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah. It's definitely it was a surprise. I mean, I definitely, until I was about 15, didn't ever sing mm. or didn't ever think I could sing or wouldn't have ever tried. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know Oliver sang. And so the fact that we sing, sang together, started to sing together, and then it didn't sound like an absolute mess yeah. <laughs> it was always a very big surprise do, do you feel like you're responding to each other in these back and forth lines in the in, in the in the songs um i think that's the one thing that i really don't is that because i mean i've known oliver such a long time and he's basically my brother and it's you know they are all love songs and the, the sort of the things we're singing about are very separate and experiences and i sort of kind of like it could sound like it is a call and response or a duet to each other it's actually not and it's very sort of very separate for both of us so mm. we both have our own you know, thoughts and visions about the songs and they're very different to each other's, but we don't really actually discuss them. We sort of just keep them for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it can work as a dialogue if you want to hear it that way or it's like two parallel visions, yeah. male and female. <laughs> Why don't you guys uh, give us another song and tell us what it's going to be? Um, this is the earliest song on our album. We wrote this song when we were 16. Um, this song is called VCR. <clears throat> Just do 
That's VCR from the XX on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions with uh, Rummy Medley Croft, Jamie Smith, Oliver Sim here in the studio. You were talking about the intimacy of this music and recording this record in a windowless room about the size of a big bathroom. <laughs> yeah. How do you take that sound and make it translate to the stage? And you know, now you're playing these big festivals. What was the transition like to be becoming a live band? I think the biggest thing was getting over our, our kind of crippling nerves um, when it came to kind of being on stage. And I think now that we have kind of gotten over the, the kind of the worst part of it, we've been able to play with it a bit more. But kind of when we first started playing, we were playing very, very intimate venues, very kind of like to about 100 people. It wasn't too hard to kind of bring across that kind of intimacy in a small space like that. But now, kind of, we've, the venues have gotten a bit bigger and a bit bigger. When you just don't have those kind of lights and darkness to kind of hide behind a bit, we've just had to be a bit more, a bit aware of kind of putting on a bit more of a performance. And um, and and now, kind of, with the bigger stages that we've been playing, we've put a lot of effort and a lot of thought into the kind of the visual side of playing live. You guys, by most of the interviews I've read, have a, have a deep and abiding love of, of a lot of R&B music. Mm. Rihanna and, and, and Aaliyah and stuff like that. Were you just fascinated with American R&B? I have an older sister. She's four years older than me. And um, as kind of all younger siblings do, I stole all of her stuff. <laughs> and um, I, couldn't, I couldn't really steal her clothes, so I, I took a lot of her CDs. She was into a lot of mid-90s, kind of very commercial American R&B. And um, I took on a lot of people like TLC, Aaliyah, In Vogue, um, Genuine. So I kind of thank her for all of that. What is it about those records that speak to you? Because there's some interesting production stuff mm. on, on in a lot of that music. I don't know. I, I don't know what I take from it. The problem I have is I, I never know what to distinguish as something I just love listening to. And... Um, something I would call an influence because I don't want to deny it as being an influence when I don't think you can ever fully do that because so many things subconsciously work their way into what you do whether you plan for it or not but um, I'm just a kind of a big fan of kind of the vocal melodies mm. and just the general pristine chilled vibes <laughs> people found out about you through the Aaliyah cover, Hot Like Fire. Rumi, why did you decide to cover that song? Um, I guess that was a song I heard through Oliver, and, and um, I just, I've always loved it, and I've always loved the lyrics and the melody. It didn't, it felt very natural to want to cover it, and I think that's kind of how it's always felt that, even though I love listening to the Cocteau Twins, and, and then to listen to Rihanna afterwards, it felt, it's always felt very normal for us. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, 
I mean, we sort of interpreted it in a different way and made a whole other sort of soundscape of it. It seemed to me like there was always a, a sense of, uh, with, with new bands, that you want to say something that isn't being said, that you're not hearing anywhere else. Was it like that for you guys, that, where you thought, you know, nothing out there is really exciting me. I, we need to make our own sound. I, mean, I don't actually think we ever made it for anyone else but ourselves in the beginning. And mm-hmm. I guess it's just been a really overwhelming surprise that so many people have heard it and have like really enjoyed it because it was kind of just a, a, a really a sort of a nice way for us to spend time doing something. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it's amazing that the music has sort of had this life on the internet, for example. I mean, everywhere you go, if you Google you guys, you guys end up getting all these mashups being done. <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of R&B, hip-hop flavor. You know, here's the XX next to uh, Biggie, Biggie Smalls or Tupac. You know, I mean, that's got to be kind of a mind blower to, to, to see your music being sort of refashioned in that way. Remember rapping Duke, the hard, the hard. You never thought that hip hop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight because I rhyme tight. Time to get paid, blow up like the world trade. Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Peace to Ron G, Brucey e. B, Kick Capri, Funk Master Flex, Love Bug Star Ski. I'm blowing up like you thought I would. Call a crib, same number, same hood. It's all good. Well, you hang out with all those folks, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. of course we do. Yeah. Definitely. It's <laughs> cool. wearing outside, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, just, it's just bizarre. It's interesting, though, to hear different people's interpretations of the songs. And sort of, I, I quite enjoy remixes and, and, and mashups and stuff just because it's just, it's funny. Like, it's mm. just great. It's, it's sort of enjoyable to listen to. Why don't we, uh, we're going to give us one more song, right? Yeah. Tell us what you're going to play. The song is called Nighttime, and um, it's... Yeah, so it's called night time.
Nighttime, the XX on Sound Opinions. Uh, Romy Madley-Croft, Oliver Sim, and Jamie Smith. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Cheers. To listen to the entire live performance by the XX, visit soundopinions.org. And to get your critical opinions on the air, call 888-859-1800. You can also email interact at soundopinions.org or talk to us on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and American Public Media with a review of the new album by Jack White and the Dead Weather. But it's sunshine by the very first time. So much time we 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and American Public Media. That is a track from the new album by the Dead Weather, Sea of Cowards. It's called The Difference Between Us. Second album in less than a year from the Dead Weather. This is Jack White, the drummer's third band, third major band, really. You know Jack White as the lead vocalist and songwriter in The White Stripes. Then he went on and formed a group called The Tours. They put out a couple of records. That wasn't enough for Jack White. He's got to have yet another band to play in. Putting together some of his pals, Allison Mosshart from The Kills on lead vocals. You've got Dean Fertitta from Queens of the Stone Age on keyboards and guitars. And you've got Jack Lawrence from The Tours on bass. White, as I said, plays drums, but he really does oversee this project. He does the production, he does some of the vocals, he does the majority of the songwriting, so his presence is all over this record. Whorehound came out last year. They made a quick impact by putting that record out and almost instantly touring behind it, went right back into the studio to make Sea of Cowards. We're going to review it in a minute, but let's play a track from it first. It's called Hustle and Cuss from the Dead Weather on Sound Opinions. That is Hustle and Cuss from Sea of Cowards, the new album by The Dead Weather. Greg, I love on that track the way that Jack White takes the high vocal part mm. and Allison Mosshart takes the low. You just get a sense throughout this album, as throughout Whorehound, the last record, of these people having a lot of fun in the studio. White having built himself his home studio in Nashville now, where he's living. But this album, I think, holds together much better as a band project. If you look at the songwriting credits, 
every imaginable combination of these four people have collaborated on different tunes. There's a lot of interband cooperation, collaboration, songwriting. I think that that tour really pulled them together. It's a much more solid and consistent record. It's a darker record. Parts of it are really creepy. As a former altar boy, I don't know if you had this uh, <laughs> reaction or not, the album ends with a track called Old Mary, yeah. which is a really surrealistic, mm-hmm. psychedelic rewrite of Hail Mary, the Catholic prayer. Old Mary, full of grease, your heart stops within you. Scary are the fruits of your tomb and harsh are the terms of your sentence. Old Mary, sister of mine, mother to the world, carry this burden now until the moment of your last breath. I had made the comparison when we reviewed Whorehound of this band filling the role for Jack White, what Grinderman does for Nick Cave, mm. and more and more White is becoming the American Nick Cave, steeped in the mythology of the blues era, the 20s, the American Dust Bowl, with a lot of, uh, instead of Old Testament imagery, in Nick Cave's case, it's sort of New Testament imagery mm. for Jack White. I love this. It's sexy. It's dangerous. It's right on the borderline of being offensive and difficult to listen to sometimes, but it's really enticing. On the buy it, burn it, trash it scale, I've got to give it a buy it. i got to tell you, Jim, you comparing Jack White to Nick Cave really cheeses me off. <laughs> I, I just don't even, I, I don't see it at all. I mean, Jack White is not half the songwriter Nick Cave is. And you, you, you mentioned the songwriting. And I think that's the big failing here. I think I love White and the attitude he brings to it. And I think some of the sound he gets from this band is exciting. But once you peel away some of those cool Dean Fertitta keyboard textures and Alison Mossart kind of losing herself even more in some of the characters in these songs and some of the interplay between her and White on vocals, there really aren't very many good songs here. In fact, I, I really wouldn't call them songs at all. It seems like they're more fragments that they're riffing on. And that's the big failing of this band. I love seeing them on stage, but I don't think the Dead Weather make very good studio albums. At best, this is a burn it record. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible on Sound Opinions, we like to take a trip to the desert island and pop a quarter in the jukebox and play a song we cannot live without. And this week it is Jim DeRogatis' turn. Thank you, Greg. You know, I was looking over my notes for this show and trying to figure out what to play for the Desert Island Jukebox track. We have done 233 shows for public radio, but we have never played a track by this artist. And I think it's it's partly my fault. I think this is an artist that really meant a lot to me, and I came to know her and several of her family members very, very well because of some difficult reporting I did. I'm talking about Aaliyah, the XX covered Aaliyah's Hot Like Fire Mm -hmm. and really seemed fascinated by her and loved her. You've had The Gossip, another hip indie band, uh, dance rock, covering Aaliyah lately. This woman is fascinating. Aaliyah Dana Houghton, born in Brooklyn but raised in Detroit, had signs of serious talent early on, went to Detroit's Performing Arts High School. It's hard to say what the magic is. People worship this singer 
She doesn't have the greatest voice in the world, didn't have the most original style, dabbled in a couple of different kinds of music, was obviously beautiful, but she had charisma. She had star power. It was impossible to look at her in a video, to hear her on album, and not feel some sort of magnetic pull. The first album, which is why I did a lot of reporting, was produced by R. Kelly. It was called Age Ain't Nothing But a Number, and it immersed Aaliyah in quite a bit of scandal when Kelly married her when she was underage. Second album was really helmed by Timbaland, your favorite. <laughs> and then the third was just about coming out. There were some Timbaland tracks, some other producers. She had desperately wanted to collaborate with uh, Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails mm. on this record. There's a lot more rock and, and industrial flavor to it. Reznor didn't work out. It's one of his big regrets. He never got to work with her. Unfortunately, she was one of eight people killed in 2005 when her plane went down in the Bahamas. The record was just coming out. Queen of the Damned, her second movie after Romeo Must Die, was just in the theaters, was a big hit. It pushed the cult of Aaliyah forward, and it continues to this day. I'm going to play the song Rock the Boat from the third album by Aaliyah, which just called Aaliyah. It's a great one, and it's worth remembering her here on Sound Opinions. That is Aaliyah's Rock the Boat, my Desert Island jukebox pick on Sound Opinions. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we're going to play the Rock Doctors, and we're going to prescribe some new music for a Sound Opinions patient. Greg, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. The XX was recorded by Mary Gaffney, and our intrepid producers Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn loved it when the XX were on Gossip Girl. However, Tori Southside Malatia, our executive producer, he's more of a lie-to-me man. Thank you. 
On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say. How do you say Hey, Jim and Greg, this is Corey from Queens, New York. I just listened to your Buried Treasure show. I'd like to offer a pick for a band that deserves some mainstream success. It's a band that I've never heard on the radio or on TV. It's Oakland-based quartet Audrey Sessions. They channel a lot of the Brit rock bands of recent years. There are Shades of Muse a little Coldplay, and uh, a little Radiohead around uh, the bend. I've been in the places that are still making my experience. I did it once, but I'll never, ever do it I have absolutely fallen in love with this band, Audrey Sessions. They are my pick for Buried Treasure. I highly recommend you check them out. Hey guys, this is Fred from New Winds, New York. I just uh, heard your show and your playing of the song by Dessa. It's the first time I've heard her. Outstanding artist. I gotta get some of her music right away. Thanks a lot for exposing me to new artists and songs. Bye bye. Hi guys, how you doing? This is uh, Frank calling from Staten Island. Well, uh, just a few things. Um, I heard uh, of all the treasures, the so-called treasures that you were point- pointing out to the audience. I didn't like anything. It, it all sounded like bad music, especially um, Galaxy 3000, 3 million, whatever. I never even heard of them till now, and what you played sounded like demos. album by the new pornographers that actually got me because it was a real song by real musicians who know how to sing and know how to play and the whistling was fun that was really good stuff compared to the treasures all right bye hey uh my name is phil Samita. i live in downers grove i love the show i've listened to it for a long time what is the deal with Jim DeRogatis and the new pornographer's new album? Like I said, I, I, I just don't get it. I think they sound more together, more into it than they have since maybe the electric version. To me, his review mostly said, I don't like them, and I don't like them, and I don't like them. Come on, Jim, it's a good album. But thanks, uh, Greg, for backing us up on that. Traffic was slow for the crash years There's no other show like it round here As a rule 
Hey, this is Chris from Portland, and I just listened to the Record Review podcast where a bunch of callers were just bemoaning Beach House and all the lack of rock and roll on your rock and roll talk show. And I just had to say, you know, if this show was happening 40 years ago, you would totally have a right to review a James Brown record, and these rock and roll types would be saying the same thing. James Brown owed just as much to R&B and early rock and roll <laughs> equally. So I just think that's completely ridiculous. So guys, throw on your Foo Fighters CDs and leave the rest of us alone. We're exploring other interesting things within the realm of rock and roll. No more messages. To give us your opinion on sound opinions, call our hotline 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.